Just getting ahead of this, as always, to remind you that this podcast contains adult language and adult themes. In addition, although today's podcast contains two tales with similar themes, in no way is this meant to compare, contrast, or uh, say one story is better than the other. Each story is equal, equally important and uh, important to their cultures. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cavalcade of Tales. I am your host, Drew, the millennial with a history degree. Um, this episode's going to have a little bit of a different feel to it because, uh, A, I have gotten new headphones. So uh, I can already tell that it has uh, softened my voice quality on when I'm speaking so that I'm not peaking as much. So hopefully that will deliver a better listening experience. Um, and the other thing is, in the interest of complete transparency, I'm currently recording this at around 3 o'clock on Labor Day in America, uh, so I didn't have to work today, and uh, your bitch might have had a couple drinks, so let's see how this goes. Alright, enough of a cold open, let's actually get into the episode, shall we? So today's episode uh, comes with uh, using a theme that will start each folkloric tale, but then uh, show how very differently those stories can go depending on the country they start in. Uh, as many people who play around in uh, folklore know of the Arne Thompson Uther Index, which uh, uses motifs and it's a, oh, let me just read you the damn Wikipedia thing. It is a catalog of folklore types used in the studies. The ATU Index is a product of series of revisions, blah, 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 blah. Uh, which uses tale types. A type is a traditional tale that has an independent existence, told as a complete narrative and does not depend on its meaning for any other tale. It may indeed be told in another tale, but the fact that it told alone attests to its independence, and it contains one or many um, motifs. Um, So when they do that, sometimes you'll be like, uh, an example, this is like Animal Husband. So you'll have, you know, Beauty and the Beast. You'll have the... Um, crane wife although that's a wife like you could have animal spouse and it will just be like crane wife the story of the kitsune the beauty and the beast uh the um and shit like that you can have like cinderella tales where you have cinderella you have um friggin the catskins you can have jaleda so it's just a means of grouping folklore together that have similar motifs uh the two i have chosen for you today have to do with uh the start being a set of parents who get can't have a child but want to have a child and then what happens when a child gets into their life and how that child's life happens so the two stories I have for you today is the Japanese monogatari or fictional prose poem, uh, the tale of the bamboo cutter, and the English folkloric story Kate Cracker Nuts. So the tale of the bamboo cutter is also colloquially known as the tale of Princess Kaguya. Um, people who are large fans of the Studio Ghibli um, e- fucking opus epoch opus i think is the one i want uh they did a beautiful rendition of the tale uh the entire thing is done in traditional uh, japanese ukoa art making it one of the most expensive animes to ever be made it is quite beautiful um, i will touch upon little things that it changes from the story throughout my retelling of it i learned the myth 
earlier and then watched the movie recently um just because i was trying to show you know my little sister being like here look folklore learn about other stories and she's just like ew the princess falls in love i'm like look it wasn't in the fucking original i can't help you with that um i'm raising a little woke bitch she doesn't like princesses who need uh men and um in one hand i'm proud so um also i apologize in advance uh with the uh multiple cocktails i've had i'm probably going to be going on a considerable amount of tangents today so just uh buckle up that's going to be something so our story begins with a bamboo cutter and his wife they are both in their old age they are upset that they were never able to conceive uh whether it be because the wife was infertile or the husband's dick doesn't work we are not sure um this story came out in the late 9th early 10th century so i'm sure their knowledge of fertility and practices it weren't exactly the best um but so one day the bamboo cutter is going out and he's harvesting the bamboo so he can process it and you can like you can cook the sprouts you can make the bamboo you can weave it into mats you can weave it into bowls you can you know it's a very multi-purpose tool which is very good because it's an invasive species so uh it's very easy to grow a lot of it quickly however today the bamboo cutter sees a bright light in the midst of the bamboo patch and he pulls out a bamboo uh, sprout and there's a child on the bottom of it uh, fucking mandrake style but this one doesn't scream it glows with an unearthly light and is very serene and beautiful so he takes it home with it you know as you would do and the wife is like you just found this weird baby in the woods he's like it's glowing it's clearly a magic baby i found it in the ground uh finders keepers um you know, this may be back in the Imperial Age of China, or not China, the Imperial Age of Japan. But um, finders keepers, possessions nine-tenths of the law. And the wife is just like, okay. And when she takes hold of it, um, she magically is able to produce milk to feed the baby. In the original myth, we don't get a lot of the growing up of the child. We just know she grows into a young, beautiful woman very quickly. Uh, that's one of the key little differences between um, the original story, or quote-unquote original story, and the um, Studio Ghibli film, because you see her make friends with a bunch of people in a mountain town, including one character who becomes very important later on, a young boy named Satome, I believe. Um, so the as the bamboo cutter continues to work to provide for his new larger family uh, he starts finding gifts in the bamboo he cuts uh, he finds fine linens and silks he finds gold and gems and he decides it's time to upgrade their living situation in the studio ghibli film at this point this is when he moves the whole family to the imperial capital so that uh the his daughter can learn to become a noble woman and then get married off to a wealthy prince whereas in the story he builds a mansion on the mountaintop himself as a way to continue to provide for the community and in order to you know give thanks to and be around the bamboo grove where he has gotten all his prosperity he's gotten rich he's got textiles he's got a daughter like he is fucking set you know why would you leave that bamboo grove arguably like fucking anything you need is getting in there 
So the princess grows up and she becomes very beautiful and the rumors of Princess Kaguya start to spread. And everyone's like, I want to see this hot princess. What's up? And so suitors come flocking from everywhere. In the Studio Ghibli film, this is uh, her naming day comes at the start of her her becoming a woman, which is implied to be when she gets her period. Um, I am not 100% on the naming customs of the Japanese people, so I cannot confirm nor deny if that was something that would happen if a young girl got a more adult name when she, you know, had her first period. I'm not sure. There could be numerous episodes and people have probably done whole things on the anthropological study of, you know, rites of passage and many times for women it is their first period. Um, So, yeah. Because once you can menstruate, it's gross because a lot of times in a lot of older societies, like once you can menstruate, that means, okay, cool, you can get married off because now you can bear young. Um, But, however, a couple things to keep in mind. First is that usually um, people were getting their periods later in life. This is a tangent. (laughs) um, Because of the hormones we are putting into foods now and the way diets have changed, women are getting their periods like a little bit earlier than they would in the olden times. So you figure the average age of a woman getting her period in the like, we'll say the 10th century, which breaks about even, is around 12 to 13. And to go further from that, um, a lot of times we'll see these marriages between a 13-year-old and, like, a 40-year-old in English society and be like, ew, that's super gross. Or, like, European society. I won't just call, put the English on blast, uh, even though they should be. Uh, colonialism's bad. But they also didn't invent it. Uh, but anyway, so, like, in European societies, we'll see, be like, okay, so she's 13 and she's getting married to, like, a 40-year-old. But they usually what would happen is that there would be a ceremonial wedding. So, like, there would be a stand-in. And there would be a ceremony where they would be ritualistically married, but the marriage wouldn't be consummated until she was a full-grown adult, or usually, or at least like seventeen. Still a bit creepy because if she's thirteen and he's forty, that means by the time she's seventeen, he's in almost forty-five. But you take what you can get sometimes when you're reading ancient history or even just medieval history. Um. Anyway, the suitors are calling. <laughs> Because they've heard of this hot princess. And five of the most wealthy princes and the uh, like men are just like, we love the princess. And so in the original story, they stand outside the woodcutter's mansion for a full calendar year, weathering the elements in order to get just a chance to even speak to the princess. This, of course, is different to the Studio Ghibli film. Where they all line up in front of a... Um, she's in like a small hut. There's probably a name for it, but I don't know it. And But there's a screen so they can't see her. And so... I thought it was really interestingly done in the Studio Ghibli film. Because what happens is... Is there is the discussion of five treasures. Each of the five... Tre- in the Studio Ghibli film... Each of the men compares the princess... To one of these mythological treasures... In order to... Uh, talk about how rare and beautiful she is Um, and therefore she goes and and she's just like in order for me to understand the depth of these men's love for me I need to see these legendary treasures I will marry the man who brings me the treasure that they spoke of 
in the um, story of the bamboo cutter, she sends out notes to each of them to have each man go and get these legendary treasures. So the first man has been asked to get a jeweled branch off of the legendary tree that grows on the Mount Horai. The second man has been asked to go get a pelt of a fire rat who is said to be completely invulnerable to fire. The third man has been tasked with getting the begging bowl of the Buddha. The fourth man has been asked to get the gem that resides along a dragon's neck. And the final man has been asked to get the cowry shell that has been carried by a swallow. Um, the order of that may not be 100% correct, but those are the five treasures. I might have just swapped some of the middle ones. And so each man goes off on his little adventure because they are so captivated by this princess. They're just like, I will go on this Sisyphean task because if that's what the girly wants, that's what the girly's going to get. Um, so the key difference between the way the movie does it and the way that the tale does it is the story actually goes in and tells the tale of these five men trying to get the treasure. Whereas the movie is a lot more focused on the princess herself and her trying to cope with uh, be living amongst humans and, you know, what it means to be happy. And it's kind of a bittersweet tale in that way because she is all over the place about what would make her happy versus what would make her parents happy. You know, classic kid development of do I follow my heart or do I make my parents proud of me? Even though like nine times out of 10, if you do what you want to do, your parents will be happy for you as long as you're happy. Um, but I don't have kids yet. Uh, I'm if uh, Freya, I know you're sleeping on my bed, but um, I'm proud of you and I love you and you don't have to do anything because you're adorable. That's me talking to my child. God damn, I have two fucking drinks and this episode's just going off the rails. So a quick tangent on me and the um, terrible ideas I've had today. Um, if you like to get drunk but don't love the taste of alcohol, for example, I've never been a big person into beer because the first time I had a beer, I'm just the person who gave me a beer was really into like extra hoppy beers, so he gave me a pumpkin head because I'm a basic bitch who loves pumpkin spice anything. But I'm just like this tastes like I'm making it up with a compost pile in autumn. So your bitch has decided that what they like to do is mix vodka with other things so that you can't taste the vodka, but you get twice as fucked up and half the time. Um, currently, um, again, in the interest of transparency, uh, right next to my laptop, I have a glass that is a, is a vodka juice. It is literally just strawberry vodka in peach juice. Um, it is incredibly tasty. You can't taste the vodka, which is going to be a problem for me later. <laughs> but now the time to tell the tale of these five fuckers trying to get their gems. So we start with the first man who has been tasked with getting a jeweled branch off the legendary tree off the uh, legendary Mount Horai. So he is gone for a whole year before he returns to the princess. And he's like, I have traveled far and wide. I got on a boat. The boat got caught in a terrible storm. We washed up on a land. A beautiful woman whose beauty could not compare to yours, but she was like at least a solid seven, came up to me. And she's just like, welcome to the island. And I said, 
what is the name of that mountain? And she said, why, that is Mount Horai. And he said, well, this trip wasn't a fucking waste then. And after being, you know, treated well by the natives, he went, he climbed the perilous peaks of the mountain to reclaim the jeweled branch. He then reveals the jeweled branch to the bamboo cutter, and the bamboo cutter is like, holy shit, this is a golden branch covered in jewels. It is beautiful. And then there's a commotion outside, and they're just like, what the fuck is going on? So the commotion is a jeweler who spent the past year making a exquisite fake gem branch for the first prince and has come to collect payment because the prince skipped out on paying him when he received the branch. So the princess is like, get the fuck out. You are not worthy. Eat shit and die. And the prince is like, fuck you. You're probably fat anyway. So the second person arrives and he has this beautiful silken kimono that like shines in many different colors think like the effect they try to make when broadway productions do the amazing technicolor dream coat where just like the way the like shimmering and shit and like no matter like you know what actually deep pull if anybody used to remember that old pbs kids show uh dragon tales and they had the dragon scale that brought them to their different land and how it would like flash with like this otherworldly light and it was like a rainbow prismy kind of fucking thing that's the color the that the kimono is and he so the prince is like i have traveled far and wide and i had this beautiful kimono made of the skin of the fire rat and the father is impressed he's like look at this beautiful kimono and kaguya is like okay throw it in the fire and the prince is like fucking excuse me and she's like if that is the legendary rat skin that i asked you to get if you are fucking listening to me you gotta listen to people because communication and listening is a key point in any fucking marriage if you were listening to me that should be fireproof because the fire rat breathes fire and sleeps in volcanoes you would know that if you got a regular fire rat and he's like of course i got a fire rat why would i lie and so he throws the kimono into the fire and it immediately bursts into flame. And she's just like, fuck out of here with your lion bullshit. And the second prince is down. So then we have the third prince, uh, who is off to get the Buddha's begging bowl. Um, the way the story is told about him is that he lazes about for like a year and a half. He also fucks around with multiple courtesans and then has a beautiful bowl commissioned and brings that to the princess. This is one of the things I think that the Studio Ghibli film did really well. Where it, you think that this prince is going to do well because he's brought the bowl and he starts waxing poetic about flowers and the things he and how the instead rather than giving her a legendary treasure, he would rather give her a beautiful flower that he found on the side of the road and when the screen comes down you see one of the women he previously had told that whole fucking spiel to and she's like how many more women's lives do you have to ruin before you're satisfied and how many times it's like what about my flower of which you stole from me which is the really nice way of showing the like don't trust a pretty man who has you know just because he's got a nice jawline and can speak well uh doesn't mean that man's not a fuck boy after you and in the tale, um, when Kaguya gets the bull, she's just like, this isn't real. This has been commissioned. I can see the stamp on the bottom that you had, you bought this. 
and in addition the buddha's bowl would glow because it is because it is a object of great importance and transcendence so third prince is down the fourth prince he's the one that's off to get the dragon gem i believe so he gets on a boat and he's trying to find the elusive dragon so he can get the dra- the gem from around his chest the interesting thing the way that the, again the studio ghibli film did that i really like the way they did some of the prince's tales is that this guy is terrified and he's like a he's a warrior off to fight but then he starts to seeing dragons and everything and he loses his fucking mind in the original tale what happens is he angers all of his servants working them to death to make a boat so he can go try to get and find this dragon so his once they're done his servants just fucking leave him and start their own community on a different island he gets on the boat gets caught in a shipwreck and lands on an island with and it turns out to be the colony that all of his servants had gone to live in and when they're just like sir are you okay and he's just like i'm pissed off and they're just like are you pissed off at us because we left you he's like no i'm not pissed off because you guys left me i was being an unreasonable fuckhead i'm pissed because that princess had the gall to ask me to complete some sort of sisyphean task she might not even be that pretty this is bullshit fucking forget it i'm rescinding my engagement application i'm gonna live here with my servants and we're all going to work in a communal thing and we're all going to live happily ever after. And it was, you know, it's nice for them. The final man um, goes and he tries to get the shell. And this one, I, I'm going to go with the way it happened in the Studio Ghibli film because I'm not, I don't 100% remember right now in Vodka Brain how his story ended in the original version but i think it's very poignant the way studio ghibli did it where he's searching nest to nest to try to find this shell and he falls to his death uh which is uh very sad and sucks because you know people dying is sad and sucks so the princess has successfully fought off five suitors, whether they've given up, died, or just failed to do the one thing she asked them to do. Uh, but all of this brings the attention of the highest court in the land, and the emperor has come to figure out what the fuck is going on here. So the emperor hears about this beautiful princess who has successfully fought off five suitors who are after her by giving them Sisyphean tasks, and he's just like... I mean, I'm the emperor, so I'm just going to have her because I can. And he sends word to the bamboo cutter, and the bamboo cutter's like, I'll talk to her, but she can be a bit of a handful, so let me see what I can do. And he goes and he speaks with her, and he's like, the emperor has asked for your presence at court. He wants to make you an imperial wife. And she says, no. And he's like, why do you make me so unhappy? You, being an imperial princess, not only will be great boons for you, but it'll be good fucking good things for me. And I really like, again, the... I highly suggest anybody watch the Princess Kaguya Studio Ghibli film. If you have the HBO Max, uh, which is now just called Max app, uh, it's on there. The whole Studio Ghibli catalog's on there. I highly suggest it. It's very beautiful. It is very well done. Uh... But there's a very powerful scene where she's in there and she's just like, if this is so important to you, I will go to the emperor's palace. You will get your position and then I will kill myself because I do not 
want to leave. I want to stay here with you too. So the uh, her father goes and he's just like, she has declined your invitation. And the emperor is just like, ooh, playing hard to get. This is hot because I, at this point in the story, am a bit problematic. So what he does is he goes and... I, the worst part about this being an audiovisual is because there were so many head swivels there that nobody saw. Um, so he goes and he's just like, okay, here's my new plan. I'm going to drop in unannounced because people love surprises. Um, and obviously when a woman tells you no, clearly the thing to do is to show up at her house unexpected. Uh, so he's like, what I'm going to do is we're going to arrange a hunting party near the bamboo cutter's mansion. And then I'm going to sneak off go outside the bamboo cutter's home, find her window, hold up a boombox playing Peter Gabriel, and then she will have to marry me. Bonus points if you get that reference. Uh, so, uh, the emperor goes on a hunting trip. He sneaks off, which of course is like, he doesn't tell the people he's going with, like his guards that he's sneaking off to try to get some so like the guards are like freaking the fuck out because they're just like cool we just lost the fucking emperor in the woods and the emperor comes to the bamboo shack and he like breaks he comes and he's like print he sees the princess and he's like the tales are true you're beautiful be mine and she's just like no so he tries to take her by force and she disappears and he's just like what the fuck and then she just kind of reappears in the corner of the room and she's just like cut that shit right the fuck out no touching and the emperor is just like i am captivated but i also in these past five seconds learned how to respect women i have drank my respecting women juice it is time he's like i am going to burn the image of you into my brain will you allow me to write to you if you do not wish to join me in the palace. And she said, that's that's fine. Yeah, we could be pen pals. That's kind of cool. That's cute. So this is where the the difference between the uh, Studio Ghibli film and the original tale really start to differ. Because in the Studio Ghibli film, um, the romantic interest for Princess Kaguya is that young man whose name is like Satamu or something. And there is um i'm skipping a tiny bit because i'm touching on this point after um so i'm telling that story a little out of order but where she meets him mind you after he's already had a wife and kids and she's just like you're the person i loved if i had married you i would have been happy and he's just like we'll run to get away together and it's like motherfucker we just saw your wife and kid two goddamn seconds ago how is this youth seven <laughs> um but in the original tale, what happens is she begins to fall in love with the emperor through the poetry they send back and forth to each other. But then she starts to get really sad. Um, she gets grows despondent. She starts crying. She stops eating meals. She's constantly found standing on the terrace looking at the moon. And her parents are just like, sweetheart, what the fuck is up? And she's like, I'm upset because they're going to take me back. And they're just like, what? And she says, like, on the 15th of this month, I will be taken back to the moon. I am not originally from here. I have been sentenced to return to the moon because I have served my time. I am originally from the moon. I had committed a crime to come to Earth. 
and now my sentencing is up and I'm to return. But I don't wish to return. I wish to stay here with my family who loves me and the emperor who has shown so much love and has respected my boundaries because nothing is hotter than a man respecting your fucking boundaries. But now I have to leave. And the woodcutter's like, the fuck some fucking strangers are going to come and take my daughter away from me. We're going to build a wall and make the moon pay for it. So he writes to the emperor and he's like, okay, look, uh, we got a problem. We got a situation. Uh, the My daughter, surprise, she's from the moon and they're going to take her away in, in like two weeks unless we do something. And the emperor's like, I think the fuck not. So what he does is he's just like, we're going to build a lot of fortifications and I'm going to put an entire battalion of people or whatever the uh, colloquial term of a unit of the army in Japanese history was and we're going to surround the house so that the moon people cannot take them and so they they start their preparations and pr the princess is crying because she's like this ain't gonna fucking work clearly there are spiritual powers at play I'm from the fucking moon do you genuinely think that a you know sharpened stick or like some fucking extra stone will stop them and they're just like, well, what would you rather us do? Would you rather us stand around and do nothing? You don't want to fucking leave, yet you're not being much of a help. So you can either come up with some good ideas or you can sit down and shut the fuck up. And so she does. Because um, uh, as we all know, <laughs> feudal Japan was very famous for their figure out an idea or sit down and shut up mentality. That is totally not white trash American bullshit that I'm bringing in because I've had two vodka juices at this point. So the day comes and everybody's just like, protect the princess, stop any moon people from getting into this house to take the princess. And they're all fucking like standing at the ready, big, beautiful full moon. And then a cloud starts to come down. In the Studio Ghibli film, it's like covered in like Buddhas. And it is uh, to kind of show that it is believed that these, that the palaces and the heavenly sphere of the moon is the place for the Bhatshiva, those who have achieved Buddhahood. Um, so what happens is they come down and they just sort of like float the princess up through the roof because she, they can make her immaterial because they're fucking magic moon people. Um, and they're just like, please don't go. What the fuck? And the emperor can't be there because he's dealing with diplomatic shit. He just sent, you know, a fucking phalanx of fighters and she's given the pill of immortality and the robe of forgetfulness. The pill will make it so that she can um, live on the moon forever. And the robe is so that she forgets her life on Earth. And she's like, can I write one final letter to my friend, the Emperor? And they're just like, okay, we will allow you this request, but then you got to fucking get your shit and let's go. So she writes the letter to the emperor but she slips the pill of immortality inside because she decides that if she can't live the life she wants to on earth she will die on the moon she puts on the robe and goes back to the moon the bamboo cutter then brings the letter to the emperor uh, by the way the studio ghibli film ends just with her going onto the moon and leaving in tears which is very sad but um, the story has a little more because there's an extra part to how what this story is the fictionalized representation of. So the emperor is extremely distraught because he's just like, she was pretty. I just wasted all this time. You know, I fucking loved her. 
and he sees this pill of immortality and he's just like why would i want to live forever if i can't have the one person i want by my side so he goes and he burns the pill of immortality on the summit of mount fuji hoping that the symbolic act of the refusal of an eternal life without the woman he loves will reach the moon and she will see it as a sign of his love and that is one of these stories about why you can sometimes see smoke rising from mount fuji yeah brought it around motherfuckers hey friends are you like me and will do anything not to deal with fucking ads where you'll pay the extra money because netflix is as a corporation is a bit of a cunt and they're making you have to get your own account but you were gonna be like fuck them but then they announced the new castlevania season so you had to fucking buy netflix and now you gotta pay 14 bucks you gotta pay fucking 1550 a month in order not to get ads but you'll do it because you fucking hate ads this is the long way to say to support me on patreon and you'll get these episodes without ads um i haven't done the ads um for the um the podcast production that i get it through the podcast producer however i um in the patreon versions uh you i will begin uploading them without this little mid-roll of the me asking you to join the patreon because i don't need to ask you to join the patreon if you're part of the patreon uh, so for as little as $5 a month, you can ask questions that get answered at the beginning of every episode. You can uh, join the Discord community and help you know, cultivate a thriving community of people who like stories and also uh, go on uh, crazy tangents and constantly reference movies from the 80s, 90s, and today. And you can join the We Don't Talk About Book Club book club. Um, I It was a bit late. However, I did announce on my TikTok that the book... For September, uh, we don't talk about book club. Book club is Romeo and or Juliet, a choose your pet own adventure by Ryan North. This is a little is an interesting book. Um, I've had it on my to read for fucking years. I bought this in college. And what it is, is it's a choose your own adventure based around the Shakespearean plays. So like it mixes like Romeo and Juliet. There's a bit about the Tempest. There's a Pyramus and Thisbe. And it's a whole, it's like a, it's a choose your own adventure book where you just be like, let's see, uh, let's flip to the first choice. Um, this isn't the first choice, but for example, you have, wow, do you want to end this here, Juliet? You can ask them what they want to talk to you about to turn to number 10. Or you can say, wait, hold on here. We don't have the context for the rooster's testicle thing. How big are we talking about here? Turn to 418. And it's a choose your own adventure, but it's Shakespearean themed. And I thought it'd be a fun, different kind of book for the uh, book club. So yeah, so this September book is Romeo and or Juliet, a choosable path adventure by Ryan North. And you can do that through the Patreon at patreon.com slash cavalcadotales. And now it's time for Kate Cracker Nuts. So the second story on our docket today is Kate Cracker Nuts, a tale from the English Isles. And it uh, is going to go in a completely different direction than Princess Kaguya did. This is not a beautiful tor- story about, you know, feudal piety and, you know, what it means to be in love and you know why a certain phenomena happens this is a different version of a it's like um of tatterhood 
uh, called K Cracker Nuts, uh, which I chose because the name's more fun to say and fucking why not. So our story begins with a king and queen. And the queen is unable to give birth. Um, and she's just like, oh, I would love to have a child. So she adopts a young girl. And she's like, this will be my daughter. Um, and the king's like, you couldn't have gotten a son, so we have an heir. And she's like, quit your fucking bitching. Daughters were on sale. Because this is the olden times. And he's just like, that's fine, but primogenitor and all. And she's like, shut up. I wanted a daughter anyway. One day, the queen sees that her daughter is playing with a young beggar girl. And the queen is like, psst, hey, get back here. Come here. What the fuck are you doing? We don't play with beggar girls. Who are you? Get this beggar girl out of here. And the beggar girl's like, you wouldn't be treating me like this if you knew who my mama was. And she's like, who the fuck is your mama? And she's like, my mama's a witch. And she's like, she could help with any malady. She's like, you think she could get me a baby? She's like, she could get you a fucking baby like nothing, bitch. And she's just like, I will let you play with my daughter if your mother helps me get my own baby. And the daughter's like, it's pretty fucked up how fixated you are on having your own child when you have a daughter here whom you've adopted. And she's just like, let's not change the subject, incredibly wise girl, because I am the queen and can have you killed. And the little girl's like, touche. Uh, the best way to get my mommy to do what you want is you're going to have to get her drunk. And the queen's like, bet. Okay. So she meets with the beggar girl's mother and the mother girl's mother's just like, she's like, your daughter told me that you're a witch and that you could perform feats of miracles. And the, the woman's like, no, you know, children's tales. And she's just like, and the queen is like, oh, I know children's tales. Have some wine. And then a little bit after, you know, like two drinks, the w woman's like, so you want kid? I can give kid. Okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to need to bury two onions in soil under your bed. After you wake up, there's going to be two onions. One's going to be rotten. Uh, one's going to be like look rotten but taste sweet. And one's going to look sweet but taste rotten. You need to eat the one that looks rotten but tastes sweet. Do not eat the other onion. And she's just like, what happens if I eat the other onion? She's like, we don't have to worry about weeds. What happens when you eat the other onion if you just fucking listen and do what you're told? And the queen's just like, don't love your tone, but okay. So the queen orders this. She has the two onions buried under her bed. She goes to sleep. She wakes up. She sees the onions. But she's a mite peckish, so she completely disregards. She's like, what does the witch know? And she eats both the onions. Which, like, also is just a fucking raw dog move of just fucking bowing down on two onions. Like, fucking power to you, bitch. So, immediately, queen gets pregnant. And she's just like... And she's pregnant with twins. Um, the sad and unfortunate part of the story is you do not hear about the adopted daughter anymore for a little bit. Uh, but she is still around because I'm going to force her back into the story at a different point. In the actual story, you never fucking hear about her again. Which is a bit shit. And a terrible notion about uh, what happens to children who are adopted. But we're going to ignore all that sadness. And instead, talk about the delay of delivery where the queen gives birth to two kids. One who is beautiful and fair, the other who's a bit fucked up in the face. Just a little bit. Like, in tellings of the tale, they use all of the terrible ways that uh, people in the medieval period and olden times would talk about congenital birth defects. But it's just. 
she just comes out a bit ugly for the purposes of the tale and the way i'm gonna tell it she's she's a she's been beaten with the ugly stick she's a bit fugly and the do- and so they're just like you're kate and your sister is gonna get a pretty girl name but the sisters were inseparable and even though they were twins who didn't look alike um the the pretty twin would not do things if the ugly twin if kate wasn't involved um so one day there is a halloween celebration the two girls are probably around like 15 and there's a lot of hooting and hollering outside and uh kate's just like what the hell is going on outside and the queen's like oh it's the witches and goblins parade uh it happens every halloween and um we'll be fine as long as we stay in here and continue to bob for apples eat candy and get drunk and kate's just like this noise is affecting the my sister's sleep i'm gonna go kick their ass and she's like under no circumstances should anybody stick any body parts out of the doors or windows until i come back and the queen's like that's a specific request but okay ugly if you die fucking i'm down an ugly daughter and like honestly what's the worst that could happen it's not like I can marry you off to a prince and, you know, without some false pretenses. And Kate's like, wow, you're a bit of a cunt for a mom off. So she goes and she kicks ass, takes names. However, there's a lot of commotion and the prettier sister is worried for her sister. And she pokes her head out of a door and immediately gets fucking lopped off and replaced with a goat's head. So Kate comes back, looks at her sister, who now has a goat's head, looks at her mom. She's like, congratulations, you have two ugly kids now, you stupid bitch. Why didn't you stop her? And the queen's just like, I don't have anything to follow up with that. She's like, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to need a boat. I'm going to take my sister. We're going to go get her head back from the witches. And you're never going to see us again because you can't be trusted. And the queen's like, well, what about an heir for the kingdom? And she's like, you have an adopted daughter, you stupid bitch. She's been sitting in the corner this whole time. So the adopted daughter gets to become queen of that kingdom in my version of the story. Because treat adopted kids properly. They just want families and love too. Um, This is your PSA about the foster care system sucks in America and be nice to adopted children. Um, Yeah. So Kate goes and she takes her sister and she gets on a boat and she goes she kicks ass takes names beats up the witches gets her sister's head back but they're just like you can't put it on yourself and she's just like no but i can give it to her and then all i need to do is figure out how to break the spell and they're just like that is true and she's like will you tell me how to break the spell before i break your face and they're just like nope bye and they fucking vanish so the princess is like god fucking damn it all right kate's like i gotta go figure out how to break this curse so she continues to sail and she washes up ashore at an island where a king has two princes one who is very sickly and stays in bed all day and a handsome one so the handsome prince is just like i need a handsome wife because this is a fairy tale and looks are everything uh i don't have to have a personality and neither does she and the king's just like that's fine for a good thing for my heir to have no personality or thoughts of his own uh but bouncy hair's gonna rule a fucking kingdom i guess uh he's but he's a bit more concerned because the younger twin of the brothers is sick and he disappears at night so this ship washes up and you have kate and her sister and they're just like 
okay, you got look like you got beaten with the ugly stick, and your sister has a sheep's head. What the fuck is going on here? So Kate's just like, look, my sister's been cursed by a witch. She lost her head. I need a place to stay, a place for us to stay. Uh, my sister's very beautiful. Here's a before photo before she got her head changed. And the older prince is like, this girl is very hot. We need to get all of our court magicians on breaking this curse so that I can marry her. And the king is like, okay, you guys can stay here because my eldest son has decided he's going to marry sheep girl over here once we fix her head. And Kate's just like, I will allow this on one condition. Do you got any other sons? And he's like, I do. I have another son. And she's just, but he's like, but he's sick. And he is also somewhat cursed. And she's like, I, she's like, if I cure your other son, I get to marry him. And he's just like, listen, two for one marriages are a lot cheaper. Let's fucking do this. So the Kate begins to investigate and she starts keeping an eye on the, this second prince. And what she realizes is the second prince doesn't disappear magically. He just fucking wanders out of the castle at night and nobody's paying attention. So Kate decides that the best way to figure out how to fix this prince and continue to have a home for her and her sister and get herself some man is she's going to follow the prince and figure out where the fuck he's going at night. So she tiptoes behind him. She hides in a bush and she sees that the princes have been enchanted by fairies. And she sees that there is a fairy baby who's playing with a wand. And one of the fairy mothers comes by. She's like, now you be careful with that wand. If you take it, it's supposed to cure any malady that happens. And that's going to be very bad in the wrong hands. So you be careful with it. Now, one could argue if it's very bad in the wrong hands, why the fuck are you giving it to a baby? But I can't. I'm not here to argue the practices and child rearing of the fae. So Kate, this so. Kate Cracker Nuts. This is finally where the second part of her name comes. She starts rolling acorns out to distract the fairy baby and she steals the wand from him. And she's just like, so she, uh, they, once, and then she sees the prince is going back. So she follows the prince back. And the king's like, okay, have you figured out what's wrong with the prince? And she's like, somewhat. She's like, I'm going to need more time. However, I can cure my sister today. And the king's like, perfect. I will allow you guys to stay here uh, since you're still working on curing my other son and I will give him to you if you cure him. But I also am not going to throw out my future uh, daughter-in-law's sister out on the street. So Kate goes, she cures her sister. Her sister is overjoyed. She said, what, she's like, okay, what's going on? Um, because I, I, with a sheep's head, I only get like 50% of the information because like, do sheeps understand English? Who the fuck knows? So she's like, okay, I got you married to a prince. I'm going to marry his brother. We're going to have two separate kingdoms to rule. I just need to figure out how to save this prince. You're going to sit here and keep looking pretty and start talking with your new husband because communication is key. And I really hope he has a personality and not just bouncy hair. And the princess is like, I can deal with bouncy hair. Don't worry. And worst case scenario, if he doesn't have a personality, I will be the strong woman behind the throne. And she's like, good idea. Women are statistically better rulers. And off they go. So the princess trails the prince again that night. And Kate's just like, all right, let's see what's going on. And the baby's there playing with a piece of paper. And the princess, and of course the mom comes, she's like, no, you be careful with that paper. No tearing it up. That is the contract that we have that binds the prince to come play with us every night. 
So Kate's just like, wow, you're going to love giving all the important things I need to solve all my problems to this fucking baby who I can distract with acorns. So she starts rolling acorns out. Baby gets distracted. She takes the contract, rips it right the fuck up, and off she fucks. So the next day, the prince is just like, the prince wakes up in his chambers and he's just like, I feel like I've awoken from a strange dream. And he's just like, and he looks over to his dad and he's like, my son, thank God you are cured. This is your new wife to be the woman who cured you. Her name is Kate. And he looks at Kate and he's just like, Oh good. I've awoken from a peaceful dream of playing with fairies to a fucking nightmare where I'm betrothed to a monster. And she's just like, fuck you. So the day of the wedding is coming and Kate's just like, I will ride a donkey. And the prince is like, sure. Why the fuck not? So Kate is walking and she's got, she's dressed in tatters. She's got a wooden spoon and is carrying and is riding a donkey next to her prince. The other two are on beautiful stallions and off to get married and be beautiful. And the prince is, very pissed off because he thinks he's got the short end of the stick because he's like instead of partying with fairies every night i'm now marrying this ugly bitch so the queen just looks at her the the queen she's not queen yet so kate looks at her husband and she's like why are you upset maybe we should talk before we get to there because communication is key in any relationship and the princess is like i have no idea to talk about she's like well why don't you ask why i'm riding a donkey and he's like why the fuck are you riding a donkey anyway she's like is it a donkey or is it the most beautiful stallion you have ever seen and then poof the donkey is now the most beautiful stallion he's ever seen. And he's just like, huh, neat. All right. So he's just like, he's going, he's still fucking distraught. And she's like, future husband, am I going to have to coax talking out of you? And he's just like, what should we even talk about? And she's like, maybe you should ask why I'm dressed in tatters. And he's like, why are you dressed in fucking tatters? And she's just like, are these tatters or are these the most beautiful dresses a bride has ever worn? And boom, she's in the most beautiful dress, fucking accentuates everything she's ready to go and then he's just like all right and he's just like "Ugh." and then she's like husband this is a fairy tale rules of three motherfucker why do you think i look like this why is my face like this and he's like he's like i thought you were just beaten with an ugly stick she's like have i been beaten with the ugly stick or am i even more beautiful than my sister and then she become and then like a fucking royal borealis effect happens and she becomes the most beautiful woman he's ever seen and all of a sudden, he's not too fucking mad about being married to her. And she's just like, see, maybe all you needed to do to talk was talk to me, get to know me, see the beauty that was inside, and make it, and it comes outside. It's a metaphor, motherfucker! Also, I'm clearly magic and powerful. Why the fuck wouldn't you want to marry me for just, you know, magic power, you stupid bitch? Because one day, we're going to have to usurp your brother, combine the kingdoms, and get everything ourselves. And that's how Tatterhood should have ended. And that's how my Kate Crackernuts ends. <laughs> and that will do finish today's episode. Um, I hope you guys really enjoyed the stories. Um, they're really fun ones. Uh, Kate Crackernuts and uh, Princess Kuguya are really interesting stories uh, with very different female protagonists who accomplish great things in their own ways and the proof that sometimes you don't need a man to come and fix all your problems sometimes you can just fix your own problems or send them on their own sisyphean task uh, if you like this episode as always you can uh, support the podcast uh, if you don't want to do financially you can uh, give it five stars and recommend it to people that you know uh, that'll also be a big ass help because the more people that listen the better engagement and uh, that would be really helpful uh, you can find me at White Trash Historian on uh, TikTok and Instagram. 
Um, no idea what I'm going to do next week. I have no idea how long the notes I was going to do for this week are going to fucking take because I am having so much trouble finding information for this. So who knows what's going to be next week's. Maybe it could be anything. Uh, ooh, actually, I just saw something on the board that I might do instead. Oh, but I've talked about a lot of those. Hopefully I can find some that I haven't. But anyway, um, that's going to do it for this episode. I hope you really liked it, and I will talk to you all next week. Bye!